This is In the Movement, a weekly radio segment and podcast series from WTUL New Orleans News and Views show. Each episode, we interview social justice organizers in the city to learn about the organizations they work with, their current campaigns, and upcoming events, helping to inform listeners of the kinds of locally rooted activism taking place in our city. I'm your host, Theo Hilton. This week, we speak with three powerful prison abolitionist activists, Diane Jones, Outreach Coordinator for Women with a Vision, author Fox Rich, and Orleans Parish Prison Reform Coalition Director Shade Dumas. They have been working on the New Orleans installment of Ending Incarceration of Women and Girls, How We Get There, which will take place on Saturday, July 21st at First Grace Church from 1 to 4 p.m. I spoke with them earlier this week. We're here with Diane Jones, Outreach Coordinator for Women with the Vision, Fox Rich, Prison Abolitionist Activist and Author, and Shade Dumas, Director of Orleans Parish Prison Reform Coalition. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you for having us. Um, so Saturday is going to be the Ending the Incarceration of Women and Girls, How We Get There Town Hall Summit from 1 to 4 p.m. at First Grace Church on the Canal and Jeff Davis. Um, we're excited to hear from you all about this event. Um, so just, I guess, to get started, um, I guess I wanted to ask each of you about the work that you do. All of you are engaged in powerful organizing work focused on incarceration in Louisiana. Could you talk briefly about your work and how you came to it? Well, my name is Foxrich, and as you stated, I am an author and abolitionist. My desire is to end incarceration in America. And uh, having been a family that has been incarcerated for almost 21 years, um, I understand the need <laughs> to totally redo how we are locking up our citizens. And um, um, so whether it's from trying to pass a bill or support families as they are going through pretrial uh, issues, we are you know, just always or working with the National Council of Incarcerated, Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls. Um, we are always on the lookout for how it is that we can best um, lend our hands to begin dismantling this system. Hi, I'm Diane Jones. And what brought me to this work is being formerly incarcerated and also having my family go through being incarcerated. And what brought me to this work is just that I want to give back and help other people who have families who are incarcerated. And my son had got 30 years, and this will trigger me into being into this work. And also working at Women With A Vision, I was kind of shy for a little while when my son first got 30 years, so I was kind of like in my own little zone. I didn't know where to go and who to go to. But working at Women With A Vision, now that I'm doing outreach, and working with the council is making me want to do this work a little more and help other people. Well, I'm Shade, and I became involved in this work um, first through studying the figures and realizing how much of a problem this was. So although this is an issue that directly impacts me through family members and loved ones, I always view those situations as isolated events. It wasn't until I studied and saw the figures and um, the disparities among different groups um, that's when I became involved in this work and working on a micro level was fine at first and then I realized that we really just need to dismantle the system and create a world that we want to see where people have equal rights, where people are not um, villainized and demonized just for being who they are. Thanks. Uh, thanks all of you. And that, I mean, you all sort of 
talk, spoke a little bit to my next question, but just for our listeners um, who maybe are not familiar with this framework of talking about abolition as a way of talking about prisons, and you know, definitely for the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of press around talking about um, separation of families. Exactly. Yeah. Um, could you t- say just sort of what abolition means to you, and 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 does it mean the same thing to all of you? Okay. There are many there are many drivers consider, contributing to incarceration, but incarceration doesn't address any of them. We already know that incarceration doesn't improve any one situation. It destroys families and community. Even if even if the prison or the jails are possibly giving resources to help folks, they are not giving resources to help black women. You come out you come out with stigma for as being a formerly incarcerated woman. You come out to the family that is often holding their trauma about you being gone, especially kids, depending on your ch- on your charge. You come out with access to resources. Resources. Employment doesn't want to hire you for any type of job that pays a living wage. Oftentimes, people come out with no place to live, no money, no job, and a lot of shame. That's all on top of whatever trauma you ended up while being dehumanized, being dehumanized while you were locked up. By addressing symptomatic racism, racism to the communities like mental health services and affirm a person's culture, quality, school, environment, and food justice, you wouldn't need prisons. Well, for me, I was not always a prison abolitionist. I definitely thought we need to reform these structures and make it more humane, but I wasn't an abolitionist because I did not know what it meant to be an abolitionist. So being an abolitionist does not mean we're gonna tear down these buildings and let people run wild and free and do whatever. It means we're going to break down a system that for so long has oppressed many of people Um, and we're going to build structures to support safe and healthy communities. So instead of investing into the criminal justice system um, or predatory policing, which is what it often is, we're going to invest in mental health care. We're going to invest in public education. We're going to invest in things that will deter people from ever going in jail in the first place, and we're going to invest in reentry so people don't have to go back there. So prison abolitionists... um, that word, prison abolition, to me is basically creating a world that we want to see and not upholding oppressive structures. I think for me, abolitionists is also comparing ourselves to other industrialized countries. Mm-hmm. When you know that other countries that have a majority uh, population and yet uh, in their majority populations, their monogamous majority populations, that a life sentence maximum is 20 years. You know, like in Norway, the guy goes on a rampage and kills all of those people. I think it was like 60 people that he shot. And, you know, the maximum sentence that he received in that country was 20 years because Norway believes that all of their citizens are rehabilitatable, that all of them are um, people that they can remodify, rebuild, and, and then release back into society. But, you know, moving us away from this one and done mentality and this mentality in America that says lives don't matter. 
Mm -hmm. um, because if lives matter, then then situations like what happened in my family, uh, my husband and I uh, took money from a bank, and uh, as a first offender in a crime that nobody received medical treatment in, because his plea deal was followed, the district attorney used the guilty pleas that he had entered uh, previously, forced him into trial, and then sentenced him to 60 years behind mm -hmm. bars for taking $5,000. In a humane society, that would be criminal. And those people that made those decisions to remove my husband for eternity should be penalized for their actions. So to me, the abolitionist movement is bringing to the forefront the people that create this system of this heinous treatment and devaluing of other human beings. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so the next question I have sort of uh, is, is also sort of focusing on, on women's experiences of the uh, carceral system. The Sentencing Project published a statistic that between 1980 and 2016, the number of incarcerated women increased by more than 700%, far surpassing the gender aggregated figure, which is about 500%. This growth is attributable to changes in sentencing laws and policies and incentives for greater incarceration numbers. Why has this had a greater impact on women? Well, I think it is more so um, when you have to look at the privatization of the prisons. Wherever there is profit to be made, then you have to find someone to fill the beds of the system that is needing to be fed. And so when you've already come for the men, the only people that are left are the women and children. Um, more often than not in African-American communities, when a woman commits an offense, it is normally a crime that is something that is either has to do with a drug addiction or with some type of economic uh, crime, some crime for economic gains. So I think it goes back to the issues of poverty that have been plaguing uh, communities of colors over the past three decades as well as this um, infiltration of privatizations of prisons that um, uh, where people are benefiting off of the inhumane treatment of others. So between the privatization of the prisons, it's all profit. And poverty itself, I think, have been a tremendous increase, uh, led to a tremendous increase in the number of women that are going to prison. I think the number of women that has gone to prison has like tremendously went up because women are the head of the household right now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, by any means necessary, we're gonna do what we have to do to get out here and take care of our family. Most women that come home are formerly incarcerated, for instance, like for me. If I had to get back out here and sell drugs, that's what I would just have to do to take care of my family. Mm -hmm. And that will cause me to be trapped back in, into the system. But sometimes you have to realize, like, a lot of these women that go to prison, that's all that, that, that they know sometimes. And when they come home, there's nothing else for them. Like, for me, my conviction is murder. I know that nobody isn't going to hire me. I can go take any kind of test that I want to take. I took a test to be a CNA. It's not going to hire me. I'm still making minimum wage below poverty. Okay, so we have to think about those situations, even with women doing sex work. This, this sex work... They do sex work because this is the way that they have to survive. Let's think about survival. They're not thinking about surviving when, they have, when they're locking us up. And not just that, think about the trauma that these women went through. Don't talk about the abuse that they're dealing with at home. I think, that, I think Fox Rich said everything really well um, around this, but there's also the stigma around women that we have to follow these social norms and act in a certain way in society. So not only are we being stigmatized by the legal system, it's also the social norms that we're breaking too. Um, and I think that often contributes to 
women having longer sentences and harsher sentences now than ever before. Um, there's another sort of related issue that, that, I, that I was hoping that you could all speak to, too. Um, and I know that Women with a Vision, along with Southerners on New Ground, has been sort of working around um, ending cash bail. And there's sort of this movement about uh, the problem of bail for, for people who are in jail. And um, I had found this prison policy initiative uh, finding that nationally about a third of incarcerated women are not convicted or, or yeah, are in jails awaiting trial. Um, could you talk about the effects and implications of um, pretrial incarceration, sort of specifically? Excellent. Okay, with pretrial mass incarceration, like most women, you okay, you can lose your house, you can lose your job, you can even lose your kids for just like sitting there waiting for trial without even being convicted. It's like time that's wasted that you're sitting there when there are other ways that they can work with you instead of like incarcerating you. And. There have to be some type of game plan for this because I'm seeing this every day for us. Like with the Black Moms bailout that we did, okay, we did this bailout. There are other people that did this bailout too. But my thing is this, worrying about where they're gonna go after they're bailed out. How they're gonna get back to court when they're bailed out. And the way that we are trying to end cash, cash bail, we're going through the court doing it now. And that way when that person goes back to court, we get the money back when they go to court the next month or whatever takes but that's the way we put it together yeah and that's sort of it seems like yeah that, I mean that question of like what happens when you then have to be stuck in this court system or like have any sort of like follow-up system where it's you, you have to comply and it's very difficult to do yeah because most okay most of the time when you have to comply like some people get fines and fees most people don't have that type of money right fines and fees is a setup you know like hey I'm sitting here because I want this get out of jail ticket fast but there's a trap with that just like with the diversion program, getting drug tested and things like that. These women don't have money to do these things. So it's like a trap. When you don't have money, you don't have these different things. I'm not going to go back. So basically, I call it a slap on the wrist. It's, it's a trap to me. I know that um, most families, most families are living from paycheck to paycheck. We live in the second poorest state in, out of the 50 states. So anytime you take, and in, in our community, the African-American woman, we are the head of 68% of our households, according to statistics. So when you remove one of us, you have totally destabilized the black family. And since we are always just one paycheck away from losing our house, our, our car, um, any bills that we have, when you lock us up for a day or two, you have turned our communities upside down. So true enough, what we probably need on the front end is just a person who is in charge of making the decisions to decide how much of a rippling effect is me holding this woman in jail over 24 hours for whatever offense she has committed, having a system in place to say, okay, if it's this crime, this crime, or that crime, we are not holding our citizens in jail for 24 hours because we know that it is going to cause a further harm. It, it will cause further harm than it will cause help for whatever minuscule um, offense they have committed. So I think making sure that when this election cycle comes around and we're looking at what district attorney will make those decisions and, and what district attorney will pa pass out his marching orders or her marching orders to the assistant DAs as to what they will pick up 
and deal with and prosecute and what they will let go of. Right now, our district attorney prosecutes 97% of everything that comes in front of him. That is absurd. I mean, <laughs> that is literally absurd. You mean to tell me almost 100% of everything that comes before you is stuff that needs to be prosecuted? Not in the human society. And certainly not in one that has compassion and understanding that oftentimes there are more things that go on behind the scenes that are not related in the police report that should be considering factors before you incarcerate somebody. So to lock up a woman for 48 hours or for a week with pretrial detention, you're totally annihilating that black family, less than only destabilizing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that makes me think, too, we had somebody that we interviewed on the air a couple of months ago who was an ACLU lawyer on the case against Cannizzaro for the um, material witness locking up, where, you know, it's just also, you know, I think it's they a, said, what, 60-something material witness subpoenas? Really? Mm -hmm. It's like 60 lies or 60 crimes, but because of the title that you wear, you have been, um, you know, excused for your unlawful behavior because it's unlawful. And I think we also just have to think of the collateral consequences of locking up women, especially mothers. So when you take a mother away from her home, the jobs in New Orleans, they often pay poor wages. We have a lot of people working in the hospitality industry who are underpaid. 88,000. Yes, so missing a paycheck, it's vital, it's crucial, um, or missing a few days of work. You can lose your job, you can lose your home, and not to mention, you lose your children to DCFS if you're a single parent. So when you are released, you have to work this DCFS case plan, find a new job, you're under a new system of supervision where you have to take drug tests and check in for different things, um, and it's just creating a system where you're hurting families, you're hurting children, you're hurting mothers, and you're hurting everyone who depends on that woman. Mm. The city of New Orleans depends on the black woman. Mm -hmm. We are the majority here. We are the majority of the workforce in this city, and more should be done to address the issues of what is happening to the black woman. And that is why this town hall on how to end the mass incarceration of women and girls is so critical. Mm -hmm. So we're definitely asking all of your listeners to come out and join us this Saturday. And to that point, so the title of the town hall is Ending the Incarceration of Women and Girls, How We Get There. Um, starting to think about, you know, about how we get there heading into this weekend, what, what sort of outcomes do you hope to see from the event and, and, and where is the conversation right now going into it? I think for me, the biggest thing that I am looking forward to see is just the community engagement. To see that there are citizens that are not directly impacted, but are conscious enough to understand that they are directly impacted. Mm -hmm. Mass incarceration of black and brown women and girls in New Orleans is a hindrance to the growth and development of our great city. And so everybody that is concerned about the growth of this city if you want 300 more years out of this city, then we've got to invest in what we believe in. And the black woman is the backbone of New Orleans. So, I mean, just to see people come out and to have dialogue and understand the intrinsic problem that we have, uh, I think will invoke others that are not involved to, to um, gain knowledge when you sit down and you have a conversation with the formerly incarcerated woman such as myself, such as Diane, or just an advocate such as Chardin, um, that, that when you hear the truth, when you get um, um, firsthand facts 
those people that come and attend this conference, this town hall, and, and it's not just here in New Orleans, this town hall is happening all over the United States on Saturday. Mm. And so we are just delighted to be able to quicken people's spirit with the truth so that they can gather a real understanding of what the complexities are and then feel compelled to move into action to whatever action plans their hearts and hands may be able to delve into. Yes, um, we're definitely looking forward to seeing people come together in solidarity for this movement. Um, as we know, there are a lot of things out there, a lot of support systems for men, but women are often overlooked. And the rate of women being incarcerated is increasing more and more each year, much faster than the incarceration of men. Um, so seeing people together who are ready to discuss issues, we have a full agenda. It's really nice, but we're not going to be talking at people. It's going to be very interactive. We need to talk about um, divergent programs to create better outcomes, economically empowering women, re-entry programs for women. There are structures out here for men, but not much for women. When they're released, they often have no support. And we also need to talk about restoring voting rights because that's a big issue that um, work is being done on that right now um, with different organizations. But that's something we all in the room need to talk about. So I am looking forward to seeing people learn, seeing people empowered, and connecting this local move to a national movement that's happening with the 21 other town halls across the nation on Saturday. I'm Diane. I'm looking forward to people just in community, meeting each other, exchanging information with each other, and like getting together, talking about this, going around to the different tables, gathering information, and really just listening to what we have to say and taking it back into their communities. Sounds like an awesome event. I feel like my next question sort of uh, may be repetitive, so we'll see, but I was saying that the event is engaging people working locally, regionally and nationally, and sort of tying into a, a national conversation that's happening simultaneously. Um, is there anything else you would wanna share about the, the what's, what's planned for the event and what the trajectory of it's gonna be? What has been confirmed that some of our great uh, city council persons are going to be in attendance with us on Saturday. Great. We've got some phenomenal formerly incarcerated women that will be present that are, are really trendsetters all across this nation with the work that we're doing. Um, and then I just think that the community as a whole being a part of this dialogue is something that um, is definitely going to be life changing. And when you tie all of that into it being a national town hall women in other cities all across this nation on the same day at the same time in different time zones coming together to discuss and bring to light on a national level the issue of the mass incarceration of women and girls and how we need to end it uh, it can't help but be it can't help but be life-changing mm -hmm. yeah um we are not asking people to watch a movement, we're asking people to join a movement. So this is not just for women, for men too. Anyone who wants to engage in gender responsive solutions with the criminal justice system, they're welcome to this town hall. Um, and we definitely wanna get people involved and connect on a national level. This work is happening everywhere and we can use the success from other places and their stories to strengthen the movement in New Orleans. And as Fox Rich said, we do have a few elected officials coming um, and this is a great moment for them to listen and for them to get involved in the conversation and for us to say what we really want. And we really want the city of New Orleans to stop locking up our women and girls.
and being a native of New Orleans, you know, everybody has somebody come on Fox and Shelby that's locked up. So just come out and support your loved ones on Saturday. Yes, you yes. know, like everybody has somebody, even if it's a cousin, an uncle, an auntie, uh, sister, anybody that's formerly incarcerated, just come out for the support and maybe you can gather some information, you know. And lastly, this is about power. So we didn't start these problems, but we are going to work together to end it. And when you're in a room with the, over 100 people who are willing to make this change, a lot of great things can happen from that. There will be a lot of local organizations that people can plug into, and people can contribute to this movement in a way that's meaningful for them. Awesome. So Saturday, July 21st at First Grace from 1 to 4 p.m. Everybody come out if you can make it. Um, are there any other sort of resources or ways that you, uh, the listeners could get involved that you want to make sure that they hear about or anything else that we didn't get a chance to talk about today? If anyone plans to come to the event, definitely check out the Facebook event. It's posted on the page for Women with the Vision, and it's also posted on um, the Arlene's Parish Prison Reform Coalition page. So that's OPP Reform on Facebook. And I do want to add that uh, Sade has worked extremely hard in direct parallel with the National Council and our National uh, Executive Director, Andrea James, uh, who we are so honored to have her as our visionary leader in this movement. And I mean, Shucks, just my hat and heart goes out to Sade because she has put this thing together for us in the city of New Orleans and the community does not want to miss it. Yeah, Shardé did work real hard on this, I must say. Thank you, Fox. So, yeah, Shardé did excellent work. I even, like, told her personally. Yeah, she did a lot of good work with this, so even though she's not impacted, but she's a good person. And I'm there's you've heard from her fan club. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I don't want to get emotional, but she's a good person. You know, she you. And she does this work from her heart, and that means a lot to us, right, Fox? When you do this work from your heart, it doesn't have anything to do with anybody. When you do this directly from your heart, it means a lot. And we all do this work from our heart. Awesome. Um, well, uh, the, anything, the incarceration of women and girls, how we get there, will take place Saturday, July 21st at First Grace Church um, at Canal and Jeff Davis from 1 to 4 p.m. Diane, Shade, and Fox, thank you all so much for speaking with us today. Thank, thank you. In the Movement is recorded and produced by Theo Hilton. The views expressed on this show in no way express the position of WTUL or Tulane University. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to be on the show, please look us up on Facebook or email thilton1 at tulane.edu. Until the next time, keep moving. We'll see you in the streets.